0: Me, you, the famous preacher on TV, all of us, if we get into the flesh, we are all capable of the same kind of bad choices, of the same kind of sin. Hello, friends, and welcome. This past week on The Man, Thanos double slash Kairos, that's the Shaman International Christian Fellowship Youth Group, we're still meeting, remarkably, uh, we get together Friday evenings from all over the world, Mexico, Canada, the US, China, Hong Kong, and this past week I discussed with them uh, some news that came out recently about a prominent Christian leader who has been found to have acted inappropriately. And it doesn't really matter who the leader is, because this year it's this guy, and next year it'll be somebody else, and two years ago it was somebody else. The point is that there's always going to be leaders who disappoint us, and there's always going to be people in our life that we would have expected more from, but that they let us down. And I've experienced this quite a bit. Um, The person who baptized me, I don't even know the whole story because I was pretty young at the time, but um, I know that that person was... I had to leave the church uh, for behaving inappropriately with someone else in the church. Uh, the first youth group I was a part of, that youth pastor behaved inappropriately toward one of the girls in the youth group. The second youth group I was a part of, uh, that youth pastor uh, was also the worship leader, and he behaved inappropriately with the lady on the worship team. When I lived in Colorado Springs, I had friends who were on staff at a large mega church where the pastor was found to have behaved inappropriately and that sent shockwaves throughout the whole community, and I would say about half of the Christian groups, the churches and ministries that I've been involved in, have I've ex- in those groups like firsthand I've experienced significant moral failures by the leadership that disqualified them to lead the church going forward, and that can be really discouraging. That can be a real a bummer. And there's potential for that to make us very jaded and very cynical and very critical, judgmental. And I think one of the ways we can keep our hearts from becoming cynical, jaded, judgmental, all of those things, is to realize what Romans chapter 8 says. Romans 8.10 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so I think it's really important to recognize that all flesh is equally corrupt. That as much as we might like to think that someone is above temptation, above being ensnared by sin, the truth is that all of our flesh is all equally corrupt. All flesh is dead because of sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, Paul says, who is weak and I am not weak? So, you know, even Paul, through whom the Spirit of God did mighty things and laid this amazing foundation for the theology of the New Testament church, even Paul knew that in his flesh nothing good dwells. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Now, he had to qualify that, right? Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We do have the presence of God living on the inside of us. God actually indwells the New Testament believer. Jesus Christ lives in us. Romans 8, where we started, talks about that. In verse 9, right before the verse I read, it says, For you, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So God lives in us, and we do not draw our life from the flesh. We draw our life from the Spirit. And so when Paul says, nothing good dwells in me, he has to qualify that by saying, in my flesh. And my point is that all of our flesh, the flesh of the people that we admire most on the planet, is corrupt, and it's incapable of pleasing God. Romans 8, 7, and 8 say, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Then it says, the verse I just read, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So we all choose where we walk and where we live. And if you listen to the podcast on God is Pleased with You, where I kind of read that little mini book, I talk about the difference of where we live and where we walk. The Bible says that our life as believers in Jesus is hidden in Christ. So our life source is the Spirit of God inside of us. In this same passage in Romans 8.11, it says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So our life source has been transferred. It is now hidden in Christ. And so we live in the spirit. We live by the spirit of God, but we choose where we walk. So you can have someone who's born again, who is a Christian, who's a believer, who walks according to, remember according to means depending on or in agreement with We can walk according to the flesh. When we walk depending on the flesh, we then don't do the things that the Spirit is leading us to do. We fulfill these corrupted, these broken appetites that our flesh has, and we have to realize that the flesh does not improve. We may learn how to walk more fully in the Spirit. We may learn how to deny our flesh, but the moment that any of us start walking in the flesh, we all fall prey to those corrupt desires, those broken desires that our flesh has because the flesh is dead because of sin. Now, the good news is someday when Christ returns, we are going to have a glorified body. We're going to get a brand new body that is not corrupted by sin, that all of our desires will be to obey God, that every desire we have will be to submit to God, to worship God, and to honor him with our bodies. However, right now, we Our flesh is broken, and it desires things that are not good for us. It desires things contrary to what the Spirit desires, because the flesh is dead. Remember, dead, according to the Bible, does not mean it, something doesn't exist. To be dead does not mean to cease to exist. To be dead is to be separated from the life that is God. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, this is the New International Reader's Version. It says, He has also given us his very great and valuable promises. He did it so you could share in his nature. You can share in it because you've escaped from the evil in the world. This evil is caused by sinful desires. And the ESV says you've escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So when Adam and Eve sinned and chose to be independent from God, their flesh was dead because the flesh became separated from God and it began to try and live this life independently from God. The wages of that sin was death, and we continue to carry that death in our bodies that we inherited from Adam. And it's only when we get our renewed bodies, our new bodies, our glorified bodies, that we will get at the return of Christ that we will have the same life that we carry in our spirit now will be manifested even in our physical glorified new bodies that we will receive at the return of Christ. But until that time, we still live in this tent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So the goal is not to escape this body. Paul says we don't want to just out of the body and be a naked spirit floating around. What we groan for is to be further clothed, to put on a heavenly dwelling. Mankind was created to have a body. We were not created to be disembodied spirits floating around. We were created to have a body and to rule on the earth as the representatives of God's power to carry the dominion of God on the earth that's what we were made for and that's what we long for that's we we desire we intrinsically desire to fulfill this purpose for which God created us and so Paul's saying that when we're in this tent right now we still groan because we still have these corrupted desires of this body that we have now but our goal isn't just to be rid of the body our goal is to get a brand new body that is free that is as Christ is, that is glorified, that is whole, that is holy, that has no sinful desires, that has no corruption. When Peter was writing his second epistle, he said, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So there's coming a day, unless the Lord comes back and we are changed in an instant, as Thessalonians talks about. There is coming a day where we were put off this body. But in the meantime, we still live in this tent. And so we have to choose where we will walk. We can walk according to the flesh or we can walk according to the Spirit. So we can walk depending on the Spirit, or we can walk depending on the flesh, and that's what Galatians chapter five, uh, verse 16 to 25 is all about. It says, But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So we live by the Spirit. So we're also called to walk and keep in step with the Spirit. And when we talk about crucifying the flesh, it means that those were, we're to be dead to those desires. Later in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul writes, "...far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world." In other words, the world is dead to me. I don't care about anything in the world. Remember in Philippians, Paul says, uh, in Philippians 3, he says, "...I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord." For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So Paul said, everything in the world to me is dead to that. I don't care about that at all. It's all like trash. It's garbage to me. I don't care about the world. And I am dead to the world. The ESV study Bible notes on Galatians 6.14 says, Paul is saying that the entire world system in all its glory but an opposition to God, is dead or destroyed in its power to attract him. It has no influence or power over Paul, no appeal to him. Paul is similarly dead to the desires and attractions of the world, for he serves Christ as his new master. So just like Paul writes there in Galatians 6, that the world is dead to him and he is dead to the world, he's been crucified to the world, above that in chapter 5, he says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we could, you know, crucifixion sometimes still has this religious connotation in our minds, but in first century Rome, that is still an instrument of execution, you know, an instrument of death. So in our context, we could say that we have put the flesh in the electric chair. We have uh, electrocuted the the flesh, or we have given the flesh a lethal injection with its passions and desires, that it is dead to us. Now, in Galatians chapter uh, 5 verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice it doesn't say that you will not have the desires of the flesh. So, putting those things to death does not mean that those things are become unattractive to us. That's why the Bible tells us to flee from sexual immorality. You know, sexual immorality is not like greed or covetousness or pride or different things that we're called to overcome or or Satan where it says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And when the Bible talks about sexual immorality in First Corinthians chapter six and first and second Timothy, he says, Flee these desires. You have to run because he knows that these things pull on us, they attract us, they draw us. And it doesn't matter how long someone's been in ministry, it doesn't matter how you know many degrees somebody has, how many books somebody has written, how famous somebody is, the truth is their flesh is still dead because of sin. And anyone who walks in the flesh is capable of committing the same kind of immorality that all of us are capable of committing. So me, you, the famous preacher on TV, all of us, if we get into the flesh, we are all capable of the same kind of immorality bad choices of the same kind of sin. Jesus said in John 6:63, 6, "It is the spirit who gives life; the flesh is no help at all." Proverbs 20:27 20, says, "The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts." So, it's in the spirits that God connects with us, that God infuses life into us. He does it by his Holy Spirit. Connecting with our spirit, we get born again, we get a new spirit that's joined with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, if one is joined with the Lord, his spirit is one with the Lord's spirit. So God connects with us in the spirit. Jesus says that the worshipers God is looking for must worship him in spirit and in truth. So our flesh is incapable of pleasing God. We're incapable of walking with God in the flesh, with our flesh, according to the flesh. We have to walk with God in the spirit. In fact, in the Old Covenant, the, the sign of the covenant was circumcision that was done in the flesh. But in the New Covenant, Paul says that uh, one is a Jew inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. In Philippians 3.3, 3, he says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So believers participants partakers of the new covenant we do not worship in the flesh we do not count on our flesh we do not seek to be justified in our flesh rather we put to death the desires of our flesh we learn to say no to those desires and we walk by the holy spirit we walk by the empowering presence of god in our life doing the things staying in step with the holy spirit as we've talked about many times the picture of staying in step. When someone walks, if you're going to try and stay in step with that person, when they walk fast, you walk fast. When they walk slow, you walk slow. When they take big steps, you take big steps. When they take small steps, you take small steps. That's what it means to keep in step, and that's that intimacy that God is looking for, that moment-to-moment experience of his lordship in our lives is the coming of the kingdom of God, the reign of God, in our daily moment to moment lives and in the next podcast i'm going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like and what does it mean to be in the spirit what is it that god is inviting us into what does it look like to open up the treasure box of unsearchable riches that god has placed in us which is jesus christ and we're going to be talking about that it's going to be awesome but i hope this can help all of us you know it's it's always discouraging When we see someone who was a a very public figure, um, to see that there were areas of inconsistency, there was hypocrisy, there was sin in their life. But I think we can also all recognize, and certainly maybe the older we get, the easier it is to recognize. You know, in John 8, when it's recorded that story that um, Jesus said, let he who is without sin throw the first stone at her. And the people who hear it it says that the older ones left first, and so I think sometimes the older we get, we realize uh wow, you know i'm I'm completely as capable as anyone else of doing any horrendous immoral um sin, and so It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have standards for church leadership. The Bible clearly lays out standards for being an elder in the church and for being in leadership in the church, being a deacon in the church. I'm not saying that we set those standards aside, but I think we do well to heed Galatians uh, 6.1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so there should just be a lot of room for mercy and a lot of room for realizing, man, probably the people who are in leadership in the church face temptations that we are not faced with and that we should just be gracious and merciful. And yeah, we need to keep the the standards that God has for his leadership. And there's times when people need to be removed from leadership. There's times when people need to be removed from public ministry Um, but only for that person's benefit, you know, only because it's what's best for them and ultimately it's what's best for the church. And I love it how there's never a conflict there in God's love and God's instructions that, um, you know, it's what's best for the church is also what's best for the individual and what's best for the individual is also what's best for the church. And that can be difficult, especially when someone has built their whole world around being in public ministry. And yet I think long-term, uh, from an eternal perspective, you know, it's always better for our identity to be rooted in our personal relationship with God and not our external ministry or anything we think we might be doing quote unquote for God. All right. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you. Talk to you soon.